Thank you for watching this message from The Bridge Church. Our vision here is to be a church that is for Christ, for community, and for the city. Today's message is from the sermon series, The King's Cause. It's a walk through the Gospel of Mark. And if this message has impacted you in any way, please email us at stories at thebridgeilm.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, it's good to see you uh, here today. Welcome to the Bridge Church, where we talk about uh, demons and pigs um, all at the same time. So this should be uh, interesting, uh, to say the least. Um, my name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here. Just uh, really want to say thank you for being here. If you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and grab it and open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, which is in the New Testament, the second book in the New Testament right after Matthew. So go ahead and open your Bible and find yourself there. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can download a free app on your phone, a Bible app, and get there, or as well, we'll put the verses on the screens for you um, so that you can follow along, and we'll even give you a Bible today for free. You could grab one at the resource area on your way out. would love to be able to uh, give you a Bible so that you can have on your own, your own hard copy of uh, uh, the scriptures. And before I dive in too far uh, this morning, I just want to say, um, I just want to uh, celebrate and encourage and, and thank you as our church. Um, 2016 was just a fantastic year financially for um, us as a church. Um, typically, it's not common of young new churches to be self-sustaining a couple years in, but by God's grace, uh, we are completely self-sustaining and can, can pay all of our bills, and um, which is fantastic. Um, so we... Uh, which means I get paid, you know, praise God for that. Um, but just a lot, of, a lot of cool stories uh, of your generosity, of things that have happened. One in, uh, specifically that I remember from uh, just a few weeks ago, near the end of the year, uh, and this happens quite often, but a, a lady uh, who was, uh, had custody of her two grandkids and was kind of by herself and was out of money, um, was out of food, uh, didn't ha- wasn't going to be able to have a good Christmas for her grandsons, and so she came to us and just said, hey, can you help? And so one of our staff members who kind of does our mercy and benevolent stuff just reached out to some of you and said, hey, uh, there's a need, and, and can we help, and can we meet it? And so um, literally, literally um, a handful of people start sending out word to people uh, in the bridge, and we start spreading the word out about this family that is in, in need, and we start taking in uh, uh, money and food and gifts for their, these grandsons, and it's crazy, and I got to be a part of the, um, the, wrapping, the gift wrapping committee uh, the night before we uh, sent the gifts to uh, this, this lady, and literally... Um, literally, we get done with everything, and we, we load it up, and we can't fit it into a car. We have to take two cars to get everything over to there, and she was just completely blown away, and, and I'm, I'm sure it's probably one of the best Christmases those kids had ever had in, in their lives. And so I just want to say all that is possible because of your generosity, and so I think we should celebrate that and just praise God for uh, the ongoing generosity of our church. Um, and as, as, as well, if you... Um, if you, if you give to the Bridge Church and you give specifically and we know it's from you, then uh, you should have already gotten or maybe getting here in the next couple of days a year-end uh, giving statement just so uh, to encourage you as well to use for tax purposes. And so hopefully um, you get that uh, soon. So let's go ahead and, and dive in. Before we, before we dive in, I'm just going to say, I just want to pray and ask for God to, to help us uh, in this moment. So would you pray with me? Uh, God, we, um, we just come in this moment and we just say that uh, this is your space, this is your place, and this is your moment. And so we just ask for your power and your presence to be here with us. And we walk into this room from all sorts of different stories and backgrounds and issues and circumstances and environments. And so, God, I pray that you would, you would help us today, God. I pray for that 
Pray for that young woman that is struggling and is paralyzed with uh, depression and guilt and fear. I pray that you would help her today. I pray for the man that's making a wreck of his marriage. I pray that you would help him find you and live for you and find strength, God. I pray for that mom that is feels like she's upside down. God, I pray that you would help her and set her free from whatever she's struggling, her depression. God, I pray that this would be a day for them. I pray that this would be a day for each of us, Lord. So we ask for your help and your power. And we say this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Well, as I begin, um, we're in a series called The King's Cause. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, and so this is where we find ourselves here today. It's not every day that I wake up and say, I would like to preach on pigs and demons. Uh, but this is where we find ourselves as we're just going through the book. And so here's, here's something I think would be helpful as we uh, begin. story that I heard of this past week that I would want to share with you. The story of a young girl that grew up in actually a Christian home uh, with, with a dad who unfortunately uh, avoided her and ignored her well-being. As a young child, she remembers hearing voices in her head and having thoughts in her head that seemed to trouble her. She remembers uh, the voices telling her that she was stupid, uh, that she was ugly, and that she was not valuable, that she was unimportant. She would go on to develop nightmares and begin to feel tormented in in her mind. And then at the age of six, she was uh, molested by a close friend of the family. She began to feel like uh, she wasn't valuable to anyone, completely starved of affection and attention that she didn't get from her, her dad. She began to crave male approval and as a teenager became sexually active. Her, her dad uh, never taught her about boys. And so she traded her body for approval and companionship of young men, which those actually never cared for her, uh, but would only uh, abuse her. This deep down, she longed for her dad to approve uh, of her. She would become the class slut and the quintessential party girl. And instead of championing her and helping her and valuing her, it seemed like her dad just mocked her all the time in front of her family and for her parade of loser boyfriends, which only increased her sense of shame and worthlessness. And throughout the years, she describes her early childhood as feeling tormented, feeling deeply depressed, feeling like there was a presence of something other than her that seemed to always surround her. And she began and continued to believe lies and felt accused. And she would grow to be haunted by her past and not only would suffer from uh, physiological problems, but even a number of numerous physical conditions and, and ailments. Story of a young, a young girl who from the outside looking in without knowing her story, you would say uh, she deserves it. You would look at her and say, well, she's just rebellious. This is something that she has done to herself. But ultimately, I believe that she, and as well as others and many of us today, are often victims of attack from an unseen enemy that has wreaked havoc on our soul and, like her, even destroyed her life. This title for my sermon today is uh, The Unseen Enemy. The unseen enemy. And so I want you to look with me in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says. And they came to the other side of the sea. This is Jesus with his disciples to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, out of the cemetery, 
a man with an unclean spirit, a man that was possessed by a demon, verse 3. And he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, for many of us today, this seems like an absolutely bizarre story of things that happened 2,000 years ago. Thank God it doesn't happen in our day. See, we have unfortunately convinced ourselves as 21st century enlightened Americans that the spiritual realm no longer exists, that we can actually, with the scientific method and with our intellect and with our academic achievements, we now can explain away all the things that seem to be spiritual in our world. But that's not the world that Jesus lived in. That's not the way that Jesus defined and described the world in which we walk. In Jesus' mind, the world is just as much as it is physical is a spiritual place. That as much as you can see with the eyes, there is a world, there is a realm, there is a reality that exists that you cannot see with your eyes. And the way that this works, the way that it came about, if we go all the way back to the beginning, we read through the scriptures that the story began with God creating angels, angelic beings that would love him and serve him and follow him and worship him in which he gave the free will capacity to to adore him and to give him praise. But a certain select group, actually a large portion of these angels would rebel, they would fall, they would, uh, they would run from God and he would eventually reject them from his presence. And Paul would later in the New Testament tell us that the world, the earth, this place is their abode, is their dwelling place. Paul describes the enemy, he describes Satan as the prince of the power of the air. And that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers that we cannot see. See, the thing that we all, as modern day Americans, and perhaps some of you or many of you Christians, we have to recognize that there is a world, there is a war that is raging that we cannot see. Here's the way that I'll say it. There is an unseen enemy seeking to defeat and destroy your life. An unseen enemy. What that means is that your life is a battleground. And we get so duped into thinking that, oh, this is just the great life. This is the American dream, and we can live and work and get a, a, a job, have a good degree, do whatever we want, and go on vacations, and just eat whatever we want, and just go about our very lives, and this is wonderful and beautiful. And it is, but as well, there is a war that is raging over your life, that your life is a battlefield and we're deceived into not even being able to see it. Uh, Makes me think of this past uh, weekend. I wasn't here with you last weekend because I was on uh, a duck hunt in Arkansas. (laughs) Um, I know, crazy. Uh, My my brothers and I grew up hunting. I mean, we we hunted religiously. I gotten out of it a little bit in the last few years. But my brother, uh, my brothers, my brother-in-law, my dad, they always go on this annual duck hunting trip to, to Arkansas. And it was fantastic. I loved it because my brother paid for it. So it didn't cost me a dime. So if you're going to, if you're going to pay for something, I'll be there. And so it literally just paid for this, this whole thing to be able to go on, on this duck hunt. Well, I realized, cause I knew that I was preparing for the sermon, but I realized while we were duck hunting, duck hunting, the entire thing is rooted on the art of deception. 
Like the only way that it works is if you are really good at deceiving these little ducks. So the way that it goes down is you get camouflage, you dress yourself in camouflage, and I go all out. I'm like a beast when it comes to duck hunting. And so literally, I paint my face, I have face paint all over me, got the hat, got the toboggan, got the gloves, put face paint on, on my hands if I'm not wearing the gloves, got my waders on, got my gun, on, gun, which is also camouflaged. And then... These little ducks don't even know what's coming. We take decoys. We take duck decoys and throw them out so that they actually think that they are ducks. And then we use duck calls. We actually talk to the ducks to get them to come. And on the last day, um, literally, we're in this timber hunt, which means it's in the woods. We're in the woods, and they love to, to, to land in the woods, to eat acorns and all this stuff. Throughout the decoys, there's a little 20-foot hole in the, the roof of these trees in the timber hunt, and they just come in one after another, and we just smoke them down. It was amazing. It was, it was awesome. We, we, we limited out. We got our limit. And I am a fantastic shooter, if you were wondering. It was amazing. It was amazing. The only way... The only way that you can be successful at duck hunt, hunting is if you are good at deceiving uh, the ducks. And here's, here's what happens for us. Satan is very, very good at deceiving you and me. He is so good that he has convinced an entire generation and society of people that he does not exist. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty fantastic. I mean, he has convinced us that we don't even need to worry about him because he's a thing of the past. He's a thing that we don't even wrestle with or struggle with. But what if there is an unseen enemy that is seeking to destroy the very fabric of your lives? Jesus would go on to tell us and he would say that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy did you know that Satan has an agenda for your life today? He's, he's got a plan for your life. If you don't have a plan, he's got a plan for your life. He has an agenda for your life, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to take it from you. He wants to take the joy that you should have in God and rip it from you, and ultimately wants to destroy your life. That's what happened to this man. We look at this man who's living in the tombs. It, it tells us that he's paralyzed by darkness and death. Like he is living in the tombs. He's surrounded by death. He's living in a, a cemetery. He's just paralyzed by darkness and death. How many of you, just out of curiosity this morning, you've been thinking about death a lot lately? How many of you, it seems like your thoughts always seem to go towards death? Seems like maybe you're even trapped in a cloud of darkness around you. Perhaps there's an unseen enemy that is at work in your life. It says as well that he was uh, just had a reckless lifestyle, that he was uncontrollable. It said that the people in his community couldn't even bind him anymore from hurting himself. He was just a reckless lifestyle. How many of you, that, that's you. You come in here today and you, you just cannot control yourself. It seems like you can't even control your passions and your desires and fallen into even addiction and abuse, or maybe it's someone that you know, a close family member or friend. It says that he was damaging to those that are around him. His community was affected. How many of you have been the recipients of, of wounds and damages because of someone that was living this way? As well, we see that he was dehumanized, essentially uh, lost the image of God. The term here for subdue him, they wanted to subdue him is the same term that would be used for taming wild animals. Who's no, he's no longer seen as a human. He's no longer seen as someone in the image of God. He's been devalued. He's been dehumanized. How many of us were guilty of that? That person that's 
maybe from your past, that person that's in your neighborhood, the person at your work, your family member, your friend, you've ultimately dehumanized them. You no longer see them as someone in the image of God. You consider them something else. It says that he was in continual depression and defeat, crying all night and day, crying, broken, up at night, can't sleep in tears in the middle of the night. How many of you, that's you, you've got dreams, nightmares, sleepless nights, crying, struggling. It says as well that he did physical harm to his body, cut himself with stones. It wasn't just something that was psychological, but it became physical because it affected his body. He would cut himself. How interesting is it that even in our day, we still have people on a regular basis that cut themselves. Young girls cut their wrists and bleed of defeat and guilt and condemnation. Men, women, children, all cutting themselves. This is what this man did. Now, for me, this isn't something that is just a distant, ancient reality that some people in the Bible had to face. For me, this is even a uh, personal, significant thing that, that I walk through. Um, I'll tell you one, one example. Among our elders and our um, elder families, um, the past two years have been some of the most significant uh, attack and um, war uh, battle that, that we've faced our entire lives. We thought we knew what spiritual warfare was, uh, but then when we planted a church, we really found out what spiritual warfare was. One story, um, as a church, we have a, a call, we have a vision to be a multi-ethnic church, which is what the vision of the kingdom of God is, which is what every church should be, I believe. We look at the kingdom of heaven, it's every tribe, nation, tongue that are around the throne worshiping God, all sorts of beautiful skin colors and backgrounds and ethnicities that are all a beautiful mosaic of people that represent the people of God and they worship him and that are reflective of his image. It's a beautiful thing, and so we champion that as, as our church by God's grace. About four or five times over the past year, either when I have had a speaking engagement or a sermon where I knew that I was going to be talking about this, this is a deep, dark wound in our city that goes back for literally over a century. A deep, deep dark wound. It's a stronghold in our city, and I didn't, knew that. I didn't know that. I was a little naive. And literally four or five times over the past year, when I know that I'm going to be addressing something the next day, the night before, literally, my girls start throwing up in the night. It happened this past week. Um, I was uh, scheduled to be on a panel on campus at UNCW to be a, on a panel of racial reconciliation, preparing for it, getting ready. Literally, the night before, Harper, our, our middle child, she starts throwing up several, multiple times during the night. Uh, just, just throwing up, just uh, unexplainable. What in the world? Why, why now? And then it dawns on me later the next day that morning, oh, today is the day that I'm going to be on campus talking about this. This is something that the enemy doesn't want to happen. The reality is, is that what we are doing here, being a part of Jesus' kingdom, the enemy does not want it to happen. The enemy is going to do everything in its power to stop this. Everything in its power to stop you. And we see literally almost every week here, people's lives are being changed. 
People are hearing the gospel. People are experiencing freedom in Christ. People are being set free, and Satan does not want that to happen. Satan does not want there to be a church in Wilmington that champions being a multicultural, multi-ethnic church. He doesn't want it to happen. And he's going to do everything in his power to stop it from happening. And there is an unseen enemy that is seeking to defeat and destroy your life. Here's the other thing that we see from the passage. We are powerless to defeat the enemy. We're powerless. Some of you think you are strong, you are intellectual, you got a good GPA, you got a lot of money, you think you've got what it takes to defeat the enemy. You do not. You do. These people, they tried everything. The people in the community tried everything that was in their power to help this man, to help set him free from his struggle, from his bondage, and there was nothing that they could do to help set him free. They had tried every means necessary to control and change him. Which means apart from Christ, we are powerless to defeat the enemy. Now look what happens in verse 6. It says this, And when he saw Jesus from afar, this is the man, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, I think he shouted. It was loud. It was uh, obnoxious. He said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I, I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he, Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. It's, it's interesting. There's fear. There's trembling. The man sees Jesus a long ways off, and he runs, and he falls down before him, and he calls Jesus the son of the most high God. He recognizes something about Jesus that most people around Jesus didn't recognize about him. And it's interesting to me that James tells us in James chapter 2 that even the demons believe and they tremble. Even the demons believe and they shudder, which means it's not just enough to know who Jesus is. It's not just enough to be in close proximity to Jesus. Demons do that. Demons know who Jesus is. Demons are in close proximity to Jesus. The difference about becoming a Christian is that you submit your life to him and to his will and to his reign, and he becomes your king. Submit to him, and you love him, and you follow him. You give him your life. He's now control. He is now Lord. And this demon calls Jesus the son of the most high God. Now, here's what's interesting. In first century, in first century culture here, exorcism would have been a common practice that they would have done, much more th than here. It would have been something that would happen quite regularly when someone seemed to be demon-possessed, and this is what you would do. The way that you would hopefully relieve the person of the demon is that you would call out to a higher power and pray and do whatever kind of sacrifices and rituals in order to get a higher power God or whatever the divine is to reveal, uh, remove the demon from the person, your uncle your aunt, your mom, your dad, your child, you would pray and you would ask for the higher power to reveal. Here's what's interesting about Jesus. Jesus, both here and in last, week pass last week's passage in the storm, he doesn't call out to someone else for help. He doesn't call out to a higher power because he is the higher power himself. I'll say it this way. Jesus doesn't call out to a higher power to cast out the demon because he is the higher power. Jesus just speaks the truth, because he doesn't need someone else. He doesn't need a power other than himself to do what he can do. He just literally calls out the demon in the moment. What this means is that some of you today, some of you are here, and I know you've been looking, you've been searching, you're searching for a change to happen in your life, defeated, depressed, debilitated. No change has happened at all. Perhaps what you need today is for Jesus to speak a truth into your life. 
for just him to speak, for the words to come off of his lips into your situation, into your life to set you free from what you're wrestling through. What you need is Jesus to call out to you. And for those of you who, who perhaps aren't debilitated, who aren't depressed, who aren't defeated, maybe this means we do the work of, of reaching out to Jesus and uh, going on someone else's behalf and helping them and calling out for Jesus to speak over them. And that's what we are hopefully going to do today. Look at me in verse 9. It goes on and says this. And Jesus asked him, asked the demon-possessed man, he said, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. It's interesting that phrase is all throughout pop culture now. Films, books, stories, songs, it's all over the place. Verse 10. And he begged him, this is the man, earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, at random detail. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Verse 13. And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, out of the man, and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. That's a bizarre twist to the story. <laughs> what exactly is going on here? This seems very odd. It's a weird story about pigs. Why do pigs come into the scene? Here's why. There is a um, story beneath the story that we have to recognize. If you were a first century uh, Jew, if you were a first century person, people of God, uh, you would have you recognized the themes that are going on in the story. What's happening here is that there is a war raging, there's a battle raging that is greater than what just meets the surface, what meets the eye. There's a cosmic war happening here between the rulers and the powers and the forces of evil and Jesus. So if you remember from last week's passage, it was a story about Jesus crossing the sea to go over to the other side. Now, in their day, they would have seen the, e sorry, the sea as being, having an evil force about it, like something very spiritual about the sea, something very demonic and unruly about the sea. And as Jesus and his disciples are going across the sea, a storm rages. Some commentators think that this is actually the work of the enemy trying to thwart them from going to the other side. There's the sea imagery. And when Jesus gets to the other side, it says it's the region of the Gerasenes. Later at the end of our passage, it will say the Decapolis. The Decapolis was a region of 10 cities in the Roman Empire. This is a pagan foreign land. This isn't the people of God. This isn't Jerusalem. This isn't Judea. Jesus, and some commentators are saying for the first time, is traveling into pagan lands. For the first time, he's putting his foot on a land that isn't the people of God, but is rather a pagan land. And when Jesus speaks to the demons, the language, the words that the demons use to describe themselves is legion, which would have been the largest battle unit of a Roman army. It would have been upwards of 5,000 men. There are literally thousands of spirits that are now inhabiting the body of this man. And the pigs, the pigs seem odd. In, in their day, pigs uh, rather, the Roman Empire, Roman people would have been seen as pigs. Pigs were vile to the people of God. In the nation of Israel, you didn't raise pigs, you didn't herd pigs, you didn't eat pigs because they were considered unclean by God. And so the pigs here are symbolic of the Roman Empire and the evil that exists there, and the demons are asking to go back into the pigs. And what happens is once they, once they enter them, they run off of the steep cliff and go back down into the sea, which is their abode, the abode of evil. What's happening here is a, a war that is raging for this man's life, and then Jesus shows up and he sets the man free. Here's, here's what I think this teaches us. You'll never 
face anything in life outside the rule and reign of Jesus. Amen. Some of you are like, oh, but, but my, you don't know my story. Then I, I got some mess going on in my life. Or I, I got some pain. I got some problems. I got some issues. If you only knew, you would never let me come back here again. This guy has thousands of demons in him. Anybody got that? And Jesus shows up and with a word makes them all leave. That teaches us that, that Jesus is, he's our friend, but Jesus is a king. He's a king that rules and reigns over every square inch of this world. There isn't a square inch in this room, in this city, in your house where Jesus isn't Lord over that. He rules and he reigns over it. And he is the king that claims victory over every foe. And you'll never face anything in life that Jesus doesn't triumph over. That means that Jesus has the victory over your guilt, over your fear, over your condemnation, over your defeat, over your depression. Colossians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And Paul tells us that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he also tells us later that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but has given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's the beautiful name of Jesus. We sang it earlier. I had to look up the lyrics because I thought it was powerful. Lyrics say this, you were the word at the beginning one with God, the Lord Most High. Your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. And then it says, Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever our God reigns. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. And it's a powerful, powerful name. It's a powerful name. There's nothing that you're going to face today that isn't, or, or anything that you're going to face today that is outside the reign and the rule of Jesus. Story goes on, verse 14 says this, the herdsmen, these are the pig farmers, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. This was a bizarre day. No one believed him. And the people came out to see what it was that had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, I love this, sitting there clothed in his right mind. Can you see him? And they were afraid, verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to part from their region. Can you see the man? Oh, man, can you, can you see him? I mean, his, his arms have got wounds and cuts, and his hands are bruised from the shackles and from the cuts that he has. I can see him, and now, now he's sitting on a rock beside Jesus. He's sitting there. Maybe he has his legs crossed, I don't know. Sitting there, and he's got a smile on his face, and it says he's clothed. Like somebody got him, somebody got the man a pair of clothes. 
got him a pair of clothes and dressed him up, and now he's got a new wardrobe. He's got a new life. He's got a new story. Here's, here's what that teaches us. Jesus can make a miracle out of your mess. Jesus can make a miracle out of your mess. Some of you look at your life, you look at your past, you look at your story, and it's mess, messy. I agree. It's messy. Uh, probably none more messier than this man. Jesus took his mess and he made a miracle out of it. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today is the day where you stop, you give up, you come to Jesus. Maybe today is the day that he takes your mess and he actually makes a miracle out of it. And the story of the girl that I started with this morning, her story didn't end the way that I ended it. Her story goes on. As an adult, she actually came to meet Jesus. She came to meet Jesus. She heard the gospel. She heard that she was loved. She heard that she was valued. She heard that she was adored by the Most High God. It changed her life. She still struggles and has pain and issues that she faces, but she became a Christian and even would go on to find a man who would marry her, who was a Christian man and that would love her, that would give her the value, the appreciation, the adoration that she had longed for, for from her dad for years and years and years. It's a beautiful story. Jesus took her mess and he made a miracle out of it. Jesus can do that for you today. He can. Verse 18, this is how it ends. And he was getting into the boat. This is Jesus. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he, Jesus, did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Verse 20. And he went away and began to proclaim, that's the same word for preach, in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Don't you love that? Seems a little odd. This man, I admire him. He's like, I want to be with you, Jesus. I never met anyone like you. Can I be with you? Can I get on the boat? I don't know where you're going. I don't care where you're going, but can I be with you? And typically Jesus, in most scenarios, says, yes, come and follow me. But in this scenario, in this particular instance, Jesus says no. He tells the man that he needs to stay. He needs to stay because his story is more valuable in the town than it is if he's with Jesus. Which means that if Jesus has changed your life, then you need to tell that story to others to help them experience Jesus' love. It doesn't mean, I know Christians get the reputation, unfortunately, and sometimes deservedly, but we get the reputation that we try to stuff Jesus down people's face. Like, that, like that's, that shouldn't be our, our story. Our story should be that we're people that have been changed, that changed. Look at me, that's what I used to be. Now look at me now. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he changed my life, and I think that he can change your life too. We shouldn't be people that uh, force it on other people. It's just being changed. And Jesus looks at this man, and he tells him, hey, it would be more valuable if you stayed and told your story here. And when it says that when he did that, when he stayed, that the people marveled. People were amazed. People were amazed by the story of this man. Here's what this teaches us. This is the last thing. The church is not an audience. It's an army. The church is not an audience, it's an army. I don't know, we've got people in this room, and some of you, may, this is your first time ever, like, coming to a church, and I'm just going to high-five you. Welcome for being here. Like, you are awesome. You can come back as much as you want, as little as you want. I'm glad that you're here. You can, you can be an audience member. You can come, and you can receive. Uh, you can do, when you become a Christian, 
you are transferred from an audience member into an army, a person in the army, a soldier in the army, which means that you have a mission for your life, and Jesus has a mission for you. It's funny to me that this guy has no theological education. This guy has not been to seminary. This guy has not grown up in Sunday school. This guy doesn't know uh, where anything in the Bible is. He couldn't tell you where the books of the Bible is. But Jesus tells him it's better for him to stay than to go. Why? Because Jesus wants him to be a part of the army on day one. Not on day 14, not on day 30, day 90, three years from now. Day one, you are now a part of the army. That we live our, our story, our story to help people know and see Jesus and, and find him. It's, it's kind of what me and my wife, this is our, this is our hope, this is our goal. I'm, I'm a pastor, which, which means I spend the majority of my time around um, Christians and that um, all of our staff are Christians, which means I can't win any of them to the Lord. Um, so I don't have a ton of interaction with, with people that are, aren't, aren't believers. But we've decided that we're going to live and be in a place and live in a neighborhood where we're going to try to love our neighbors and just be be good neighbors and, and be good friends. And so uh, my, I live r- right across the street, a few streets from here, um, a cool, eclectic neighborhood, Carolina place. And um, <laughs> amazing thing happened uh, this past uh, December, just a few weeks ago. Um, my, um, my neighborhood does something called the Christmas Crawl. It's fantastic. It's basically a progressive dinner from house to house to house, but uh, no dinner, just drinks and a lot of drinks. And um, <laughs> I, uh, I couldn't, we couldn't go last year because we were out of town. Uh, but the, the organizer of the event, he puts on Facebook, he says, hey, we're looking for host uh, this year for the Christmas call, uh, crawl. And uh, I'm at that, you know, decisive moment. I'm at a crossroads. Um, what do we do? And I wanted to host. And so I, without even counseling with my wife, I say we will host and we will be a part of, because never do that. Never, that is never, Amen. never goes well. It just never goes well. But in this, uh, in this situation, uh, she was all for it. Um, and uh, we did not realize, though, that there would be over 100 people in our home for uh, the Christmas crawl. But literally, like over 100 of our neighbors. Uh, we're house number three, and so uh, you just go from one house to the other, and we're house number three, and there's like 100 of my neighbors, people I've never seen before in my life that are in my house, and they're out back at the fire pit, out front, hanging out, talking, and whatever. And we're just, they have no clue that I'm a pastor, and I'm going to backdoor them here, you know, before too long. Um, but we're just... We're just trying to be. We're just trying to be good neighbors. We're just trying to live on a street and love people and help people, however we can and wherever people are at. And you know, Jesus has made a difference in our life, and we believe that He can make a difference in other people's life. It means that when you become a Christian, you're you're now on the front lines. You're now a part of the army. You're help the city. The city help to see Jesus and know Jesus and bring the change that our city needs. And I'll close with this. Um, what I love about this story is that um, this man, though he was set free and though he was set free from his, his demons, he would eventually one day die. He would die just like each of us. And though his life was changed, he would eventually go back to a tomb. But here's what's amazing about the story. Jesus took his place and he took our place. Jesus died the death that was meant for him, and Jesus entered the tomb so that we could be set free from the tomb. Though this man cut himself and shed his own blood to try to set himself free, Jesus would ultimately be cut and spill his own blood so that we could be set free. The story of the gospel is that Jesus went to a cross that was meant for you. 
Jesus went to a cross that was designed for your sin and your shame and your pain and your guilt and your condemnation, but Jesus took that on himself, and he exchanged places with you, and he spilled his own blood so that your blood would not have to be spilt. To all who believe, follow him. He grants them the righteousness that he gave, that he has in the Father. It's a beautiful story. Amen? Let's pray. God, we, we thank you today for this man, that he was set free. That the oppression, the darkness that surrounded him, it was set free. He got to a place of liberation. He got to a place of freedom. Lord, we just praise you for that. I pray that we would be people that experience that same Freedom, God, that you would allow us to, to, to feel that today. God, that today would be the day for somebody. Today would be the day with whatever they're struggling with, whatever they're fighting through, whatever lies they're believing, that they would experience your grace and your truth today. So, God, we ask and we, we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.